The Avengers. That's what we call ourselves. Sort of like a team. Earth's mightiest heroes type thing. Avengers, time to work for a living. That's my secret. I'm always angry. I am on the side of life. You get hurt, hurt him back. You get killed, walk it off. I'm here to talk to you about the Avenger Initiative. I'm your host, Andrew, and I'm here to talk to you about the Avengers. Welcome to episode 17 of Some Assembly Required, your weekly adventure into the annals of Earth's mightiest heroes, the Avengers. This week, we're taking a look at Avengers number 15, now, by my hand, shall die a villain. The book comes to us in April of 1965, and it is written by Stan Lee, pencils by Don Heck, inks by Mikey Demio, who is also Mike Esposito, letters by Art Simic, and layouts by Jack Kirby. So to start this issue off, I'm looking at the cover. Cover's not really doing a whole lot for me. It's just kind of, okay, heroes, villains, fighting. It tells me we're going to have the Masters of Evil, and that's about it. The one thing it does, however, give away is the fact that Giant Man has a new, we'll call it variation on his costume, and he's added a chest piece and a kind of a helmet. Now, I'll be honest, I think those look pretty stupid. They don't really do much for me. I kind of liked the old look of the costume. It was a little bit cleaner, a little bit more simple, and it really conveyed the whole ant thing. I guess now, since he's spending more time as Giant Man, that's the justification for the change, but I'm not really a fan. The other thing about the first page here is that it talks to us directly as the reader, and it says, At last, Marvel answers those who have claimed the Avengers never wage a fight to the finish. And frequently when they make these kind of grandiose claims in a book like this, I don't really buy it. I take it with a grain of salt. This one, however, got me thinking, and they're kind of right. The Avengers don't really ever finish a fight. Not truly. I mean, they beat their enemy, but they don't beat their enemy to a point where their enemy is no longer able to fight back or their enemy is totally defeated. Way back in issue three, Thor let Namor go. They've had to pass on the Hulk a few times. The Masters of Evil tend to be able to make a hasty withdrawal repeatedly. So there actually is kind of something to that complaint. The issue actually starts with an ending, and that is the ending of an Avengers meeting, and we get to see all of the Avengers go off on their own. And really from the beginning of this issue, we see the change in Giant Man that I had talked about before. His entire attitude towards Wasp is completely different. She becomes much more of his focus. He's much kinder to her. Almost losing her really did take a toll on him. So it makes sense that he is going to have this change of heart is a little bit of a harsh term. I think it's a realization and a recognition of his feelings. Now, of course, since the Avengers meeting is wrapping up, all the other Avengers are also departing, and we get a nice panel of, a couple panels, really, of Thor transforming back into Donald Blake, and as Donald Blake is walking out of an alleyway where he did his transformation, the art is really interesting here in that Donald Blake really is a background character, like, very, very much so, and, you know, that really kind of reinforces that feeling that Donald Blake is just kind of a wet blanket. You know, there's not much to him that Thor really is the emphasis and that Donald Blake is just kind of a, an afterthought, really. So while the Avengers are enjoying some well-earned rest and relaxation, Baron Zemo decides that he has been resting far too long and that it's once again time for him to take the fight to the Avengers in an attempt to defeat them. So he rushes off to his airfield and gives his pilot some orders and they go flying off. It's not really clear at this point what those orders are, but we will find out what they are here shortly. 
It is kind of interesting, though, as if the Nazi symbology and references weren't heavy enough in this. The pilots are wearing purple armbands with a big Z in the middle that look remarkably like Nazi armbands from World War II. Also, one of Zemo's henchmen refers to him as a murderous Nazi war criminal. I don't understand that. That makes no sense to me. Not that Zemo was a murderous Nazi war criminal. Zemo is absolutely a murderous Nazi war criminal. But the fact that his henchmen referred to him as such. His henchmen work for him. They think he's the good guy. So why would you be calling him a murderous Nazi war criminal? Or if you did think that, why would you work for him? There's a discontinuity there that caught me off guard. Speaking of World War II, however, we find Captain America writing a letter to Nick Fury and looking to ask a favor of Fury and help him get back into, really into the real world. Being a child of the Depression, Cap has a really strong work ethic, and it really kind of bothers him that he's been sitting around for so long, basically living off the Avengers, not actually doing work, just being Captain America. But being Captain America, you know, doesn't take up a whole lot of his time, so he's looking for some other way he can earn a living and, and get back into things, and, you know, being a soldier is what he was good at, so he's looking to Nick Fury to try and get back into something like he did before. Of course, when Cap goes to mail the letter, it just so happens that Enchantress and Executioner drive past in a car. Now, this is one of those times where, you know, New York is a little too small and things are a little too convenient for my personal tastes. This is kind of a thing that goes back to the 1940s, 1950s, where if you look at, like, movies from that era, they really portray New York as the Empire State Building is right across from the UN, is right next to the, you know, everything is really close. And the reality is, you know the islands it's small but it's still fairly long and there's probably a couple of miles between a lot of these landmarks so the fact that you know in a city of a couple of million you just happen to at the right moment turn around and see these two people it's a little far-fetched so as captain america gives pursuit enchantress uses her abilities to trip him up or in this case actually kind of knock him down he's hanging from a traffic light cable and enchantress causes the cable to snap and captain america falls and loses track of them and we'll catch up with cap in just a second here but enchantress and executioner go back to it looks like an apartment that i guess they're sharing where they are contacted by zemo using their communicator which is basically like a giant table with a glass sphere that zemo's face appears in but i can't help thinking of it as like a low budget science fiction prop where you've got the hole cut out in the table and like the plexiglass dome over it and a guy just gets underneath the table and sticks his head up and talks at them that's all i can see this as maybe that's the kind of thing stanley was going for but i've got a hard time taking it seriously i really do also executioner's crazy eyes are back and they've rubbed off a little on enchantress the last panel we have of the two of them talking to zemo executioner's totally got crazy eyes going but so does enchantress it's, I, I should probably warn you guys that this issue is going to jump around quite a bit and this is just one example here we cut back to the avengers and we find captain america explaining to the rest of the team what he's seen and you know obviously they don't know what's going on but nobody is dumb enough to think that nothing is going on the avengers are all bracing for something but they don't quite expect it this soon and they turn around and suddenly rick jones is being pulled through the air out of the avengers mansion and up towards a plane flying by of course all of our flight capable avengers take off after rick only to find a concussion bomb dropped their direction and thor and iron man are knocked senseless though they are thankfully rescued by giant man 
After returning his teammates to safety, Giant Man borrows Captain America's shield in an attempt to take out the plane, and unfortunately, there is some kind of force field protecting the plane, and so Cap's shield really has no effect, and we see that the plane is in fact Zemo's plane, and as part of Zemo's plan, whatever it happens to be, the first step is to capture Rick Jones. Now thankfully for Rick, Wasp was able to sneak on board. Back on the ground, Iron Man and Thor have come back to their senses, and Iron Man quickly requests a plane from Stark Industries so that the Avengers can take off after Zemo's plane and hopefully rescue Rick. But before we get to see that, we cut to a jail cell where we find Black Knight and Melter, two other former Masters of Evil. Now, this is one of those early comic conventions I don't quite get. They have put both men in jail in their costumes. Basically, they've said they've chemically treated the walls and the so Melter can't melt anything, and that there are men on their way from DC to look at the costumes and their equipment, so that's why they haven't taken them away. And I'm like, no, why would you not take them away? The men from DC can still look at the equipment when it's off of them. In fact, that's probably preferable. So I don't know why they leave it on. Now, I am amused by the fact that they're kind of pacing around the cell and whatnot, and Black Knight is still sitting there in his helmet. Like, Black Knight is really committed to his costume. Doesn't matter what's going on, day, night, awake, asleep, Black Knight is keeping that helmet on. He is the Black Knight, and you better believe it. Of course, as they're pining for freedom, what appears before them? But a magic portal. Now, part of me says, magic portal appears in your jail cell. This feels like a terrible idea. Like, part of me says that. Because you have no idea where it leads. None whatsoever. The other part of me, though, goes, you're already in jail. The odds of this leading to somewhere worse than jail are not very high, so I should probably go ahead and just take that chance. And Melter and Black Knight agree with me, and it works out for them. As soon as they have passed through it, they are met by Enchantress and Executioner, Enchantress bearing Black Knight's lance and holding his horse, and Executioner points them in the direction of the Avengers plane. And Black Knight is right back in the saddle. Black Knight is all business here. And he attacks the Avengers plane with it's like a spinning disc from his lance that kind of expands and catches the plane in it and starts spinning the plane around as well. And, you know, I don't have a problem with Black Knight per se. His lance is kind of ridiculous, though. And not necessarily the good kind of ridiculous. It's very, very kind of cliche and very... Oh, what's the word I'm looking for here? It's very kitsch. You know, of course the knight has a weaponized lance. Like It's not the word I was looking for, but cliche definitely describes the lance. But at any rate, Black Knight and his lance have repeatedly failed to prove an equal match for Thor, and once again they do as well. Now, while Thor is dealing with Black Knight, Iron Man and Captain America are still in the plane, and somehow Wasp has joined the team. I'm a little fuzzy on this part because we see Wasp on Zemo's plane, and then now we see Wasp on the Avengers plane, and it's not really clear how she got from one to the other. At no point do we see her leaving one plane, and it's a little odd. But but as our heroes are making their way after Zemo's plane and to save Rick Jones, suddenly a blast comes flying up through the plane, which Iron Man immediately recognizes as a shot from the Melter. So Iron Man flies out of the plane and decides to confront the Melter. 
I'm going to give Iron Man a little bit of credit for this one. He has not necessarily had the best luck fighting the Melter. It's gone okay for him in the past, but never great. And his unhesitating willingness to jump into this fight, is, this is the kind of reason these guys are superheroes, right? Most normal people, if they end up in that kind of situation, they're not just immediately rushing into the fight without even thinking about it. But Iron Man, on the other hand, Iron Man's totally in. This is also one of those points where it just reinforces to me how kind of dumb the Melter is as a villain. He tries to dump a water tower on Iron Man, and then he claims he welds Iron Man's feet to the roof. He can't affect Iron Man's suit. His new suit is not entirely made out of steel. It's now made out of an aluminum alloy. So Melter's unable to affect Iron Man's suit, but he claims to weld Iron Man's feet to the roof. And if he can't affect Iron Man's suit, he can't weld Iron Man's feet to the roof. Also, the roof is likely not made out of metal, and if it's not made out of metal, you also cannot weld it. So, poor choice of words and, and concept, and Melter's just got such a very narrow power set. You know, I can melt iron-based metals. That's great, but it really works better as a one-off. And the fact that Melter just keeps coming back and coming back and coming back doesn't really impress me. So since the plane took a blast from Melter, the plane's kind of unstable. Cap is going to try and make it keep up with Zemo's plane and go after Rick, but the rest of the Avengers, specifically Giant Man and Wasp, decide to get out of the plane and lend their aid to fighting Enchantress and Executioner and Melter and Black Knight. So Giant Man leaps from the plane and lands astride two buildings, and we actually see Giant Man going beyond what his previously acknowledged limits were here in terms of size. He talks about being a hundred footer at this point, so a hundred feet tall. Previously, his limit was 12 feet tall, and I like this. I understood the idea of trying to cap his size at 12 feet. It made him impressive, but not too overwhelming. He wasn't throwing the fight in the Avengers' favor too much. He wasn't making the villains look like they were pointless. But I also really like the idea of superheroes, at times, having almost unlimited power, and that they have to to choose to throttle it back themselves. Kind of the best idea of this is Superman, where Superman is written a number of different ways, but you can kind of group them into either Superman is less powerful or Superman is ultimately powerful. And you get very different stories out of each of those two categories. But I'm kind of a fan of Superman as the ultimately powerful character and that he has to intentionally exercise a certain level of control. And also he's kind of the nuclear option. So obviously Giant Man isn't that powerful, He's not Superman, but I like the idea of at times being able to remove a kind of an arbitrary limit when the story needs it, when it's required. It also allows us really cool things like seeing Giant Man put his foot through a marquee, specifically talking about a Mary Marvel Marching Society meeting. The movie theater marquee he puts his foot through says newsreel, and then below, MMMS meets. And that, of course, as I mentioned, is the Mary Marvel Marching Society, which was a creation of Stan Lee's as a Marvel fan club, if you will. Of course, seeing a hundred foot tall giant man, Enchantress and Executioner decide it's probably time to get the hell out of Dodge. And Wasp pulls a great classic gag where she dumps a bunch of oil on the floor and Executioner slips and falls in it. It is a straight classic vaudeville style, simple sight gag that made me chuckle rather loudly, in fact. And just before we cut to Captain America in South America, we get Giant Man just tearing through a couple of buildings in pursuit of Enchantress and Executioner. 
So as Cap approaches Zemo, Zemo's waiting because he captured Rick specifically for this purpose. And as Cap flies in, he opens up on Cap with anti-aircraft fire, which is fine because Cap can shoot back. Only that's exactly what Zemo wants Cap to do. And right as he starts firing at the anti-aircraft guns, a giant glass dome containing Rick pops out of nowhere right into Cap's line of fire. Rick is very nearly killed and is only just saved by a couple of Cap's shots missing their mark. So basically what they're telling me is that Captain America is actually a fairly poor shot. Because if Cap was a better shot, Zemo's plan would have worked perfectly. It's funny because Cap says, this was Zemo's trap. He wanted me to be the one to cause Rick's death. And heaven help me, it almost happened. It doesn't have any explanation of how it didn't happen. So what you're telling me is that Cap just didn't aim very well. Otherwise, Rick would have died. All right, so like I said, this issue jumps around a lot, and we are back in New York once again. And again, Thor is hot on the trail of Black Knight, but because Black Knight is on a flying horse, he's got a little bit more maneuverability than Thor, and so he kind of just pops over the top of a building, expecting Thor to slam into the building, and instead, Thor shows off his sick parkour skills. He just kind of hits the side of the building, runs along it, and keeps going. Now, while this is going on, Iron Man continues to battle the Melter. We get another one of the shadowed panels that I really like. But eventually, Melter catches up with Executioner and Enchantress, and the three of them try and flee, only to be stopped by Giant Man smashing up Executioner's really crappy brown car. I don't know where he got the car or who he stole it from, but he could have stolen a better car. I mean, not that it mattered a whole lot because Giant Man stopped it pretty quickly. And we end up with an Avengers-style Mexican standoff at the end, though, where the Avengers have surrounded the villains, and the villains vow to fight on, never to surrender. Cutting back to Captain America and South America, we find Cap parachuting down towards Rick's formerly intact, now smashed, glass dome prison. And I kind of want to know, like, why is Cap parachuting? Yes, his plane was damaged, but, I mean, Zemo has an airstrip. We've already seen it this issue. So Cap could have landed, and instead he jumps out of and abandons a perfectly mostly good airplane. It's a little bit damaged, and maybe they damaged the landing gear. Maybe there were other problems with the plane. The damage got worse as Cap's flight went on, but we don't see any of that. So as far as I know, Cap just ditched a mostly good plane. This will come back to be a problem in the next issue. Of course, right as Captain America and Rick have their reunion, Baron Zemo and his thugs come after Cap and Rick. However, by a intelligent use of Cap's shield, he is able to cut off Zemo from the rest of his minions, and now it is just Captain America versus Baron Zemo. And Zemo has Cap dead to rights in his sights with some kind of death ray laser gun, who knows, but some kind of weapon trained right on Cap. And just as Zemo's about to pull the trigger, Cap reflects the light from the sun into Zemo's eyes, causing him to shoot upward and cause an avalanche. And as the dust clears, we find that Zemo is crushed beneath the rock. Cap takes a moment, saying, You can rest easier now, Bucky. Wherever you may be, your death has been avenged. No man can perpetrate evil without paying the price. If destiny could speak, it would say, By my hand shall always die a villain. And that's the end of the issue. So we do have a little bit of a cliffhanger here in that we haven't really dealt with what all is going on with the Avengers and the Masters of Evil in New York. But at least for the time being, things in South America have been taken care of. And in fact, this is the actual death of Baron Heinrich Zemo. As I mentioned, in the future, we will have the return of Baron Zemo. But in that case, it will be Baron Zemo's son, Helmet. 
overall, there's a lot going on in this issue, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. I think for the most part, it was all very well done. I would, however, have liked to have seen Zemo's death drawn out a little bit more. This has been the central focus of Captain America's story, basically since he found out that Zemo caused Bucky's death and that Zemo's still alive. And I feel like it, it could have been more of a dramatic moment. Now, the benefit to doing things the way they, they're done in the book here is that this does seem very in the heat of the moment as the action is unfolding, right? Having the panels come so quickly together really conveys that sense of how short a time it is. But for something that up to this point has meant so much to Captain America and that vengeance that he has sought so much, I would have liked to have seen it teased out some more to kind of milk that. If you tease it out a little bit more, it makes the reader more anxious, makes them want it more. Right? They know what's coming, or at least they hope they know what's coming. They hope that Cap is going to get his revenge. They hope that Cap is going to get that vengeance that he's been craving. They hope that the villain suffers in the end. But if you stretch it out, they can't wait for it to happen. I also appreciate the fact that Giant Man is almost an entirely new man in this book. And, okay, yes, we see that by the change of costume, which I think is dumb. But that is at least an outward manifestation of his being different. But his entire attitude has changed, and his powers are kind of ramped up. Right At this point, he can really let some destruction loose, but his anger and his impulsive nature have more direction. He isn't going off on his teammates. He isn't being nasty to Wasp. He's putting things to good use. Like I said, I am a fan. Uh, yes, superheroes having limits, and that's a really fascinating thing to explore. But so is the idea of removing those limits. And Giant Man as a no kidding giant. I mean, yes, 12 feet is tall. That is taller than anyone anyone has ever seen in living memory. You know, there is nobody in the world who's seen a 12 foot tall person. But at the same time, even a 12 foot tall person pales in comparison to someone who's 100 feet tall or 200 feet tall. And think about being a villain and suddenly seeing the hero you're fighting grow to the size of a building. And not like my house building. My house, I've got a two-story house. So maybe 30 feet, 40 feet, maybe at the top, at the highest point. So double and then add even more on top of that. And now I've got a, this is the guy I'm trying to defeat. I mean, damn. So when it comes to the art, this book is feeling much more like a Jack Kirby work. Right? Don Heck still gets the credit for being the penciler, but in, in almost every regard, it feels more like Jack Kirby's work. And I was kind of wondering to myself as I finished this book up, why Jack came back to the book to do layouts. I'm kind of curious more. I don't think Don Heck's doing a bad job, but I wonder if it either had to do, maybe there was, there was something like a workload or a schedule kind of concern or the last two issues and... And the next issue really are kind of important ones for the Avengers. And I wonder if they brought Jack Kirby back to help with the layouts and take over a lot of that kind of storytelling because these were going to be important issues. You know, last issue we had everything going on with Wasp, which leads to Giant Man being a changed kind of person. This issue we have Captain America finally being able to avenge Bucky. And next issue we're going to have basically the entire original team leave and new people come in their place. So these are three really big, important issues for the Avengers so far, and I kind of wonder if they brought in Jack because of that level of importance. Remember, you can find us at AvengersAssembly.com, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and you can find this podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and YouTube. 
If you'd like to be a part of the conversation, send your questions and comments to andrew at avengersassembly.com. Next week, the old order changeth with Avengers 16, and we say goodbye to some of our old favorites. All right, hey. All right, good job, guys. Let's just not come in tomorrow. Let's just take a day. Have you ever tried shawarma? There's a shawarma joint about two blocks from here. I don't know what it is, but I want to try it.